Warning, the following podcast is family-friendly, so long as nobody in your family minds hearing us say fuck. This week's episode of The Scathing Atheist is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club, Stamps.com, For Hymns, and by the new separate but equal laws for churches in Trump's America, the Johnson and Johnson Amendment, because not everyone's God votes right. And now, The Scathing Atheist. I'm Jacob. And I'm Patrick. From the Bullshit Hold My Beer podcast, the epic barroom conversation gone so very, very right. Hey, Patrick, can you believe that some people out there don't believe that we, in fact, evolved from filthy monkey men? Bullshit. Hold my beer. It's July 26th. And it's Uncle Day. So to all those uncles who aren't creepy, we salute you. (laughs) Not fair. There is no separate creepy Uncle's Day. (laughs) I'm no illusions. I'm Eli Bosnick. I'm Heath Enright. From New York, New York, Cincinnati, Ohio, and bumfuck nowhere, this is Scathing Atheist. On this week's episode, Lee Strobel's back to scientifically prove what Jesus thought but never said. The gay community hides a fuck-slave animal inside their acronym. And a dead guy will keep up the good work. But first, the diatribe. You know, I bet even if we ended up proving them right religious people wouldn't believe us. I, w- I was thinking about this the other day. Okay, so to get there, let's let's imagine that you and I live to see the discovery of life on another planet, but not in the, the Hollywood blockbuster pulp novel manner, in the scientific way it'll almost certainly happen manner. So it, it won't be some eureka moment when we find a monolith on the moon or their spaceships park over the White House or something. It'll happen over a period of years. It'll start off with some anomalous readings on some spectrograph Uh, And then headlines will pop up everywhere saying, hey, could this exoplanet harbor life? And that's going to be the first that most of us hear about it. And then the scientists will point more and more instruments at it, gather more and more data, have some arguments, have some symposia. All the while, the headlines will remind us that the question is still being debated and they'll update us on the latest findings. And over time, doubtful scientists will be convinced. Journalists will hedge their bets less and less. And by the time they come out and say, yeah, we're 99.99999% sure that planet 2011 G, whatever the fuck has life on it, people paying attention will already pretty much know. And rather than the agape mouths and agog eyes of a century plus of science fiction, we'll get some broad swath of the world dismissing this with little more than picks or it didn't happen. We'll find that a disturbingly large segment of society isn't buying all them missing bands and them spectrographic analyses and whatnot. They'll confidently dismiss the findings as the sequel to the infamous moon landing hoax they did back in the 60s. And it's not like we'll have high res pictures of a snarf blacks to show them. We'll have data. We'll have data that can only be reasonably interpreted in a single way, but reasonably hasn't acted as much of an impediment to these folks in the past. So you and I dutiful defenders of science and truth that we are, we'll find ourselves arguing in favor of alien life with the exact same motherfuckers we had to argue with against alien abduction. So what if we flip the script on God like that? Okay, imagine that at some point along the road of scientific discovery, we found God. 
And, and not like, you know, some satellite flies by some big dude sitting on a cloud just below Alpha Centauri, but like whatever the equivalent of the slow roll alien discovery would be. And over time, we poke and we prod at this discovery until no reasonable scientist could look at this data and not see God. You know, they, they do more and more experimentation. They gather more and more information, and it keeps bolstering the hypothesis that an eternal conscious force of some sort created the universe and interacts with events in the present day. In this imaginary world, how long would it take before you and I were arguing in favor of God to all the people we are arguing against today? I mean, sure, some religious people would embrace the fuck out of something like that, the way they flocked to the Big Bang Theory when it suited their purposes, but that wouldn't last long. Religious authorities aren't going to give up their monopoly easily, even to the one true God. And they're sure as hell not going to let a bunch of scientists determine what their God thinks about things. But beyond that, to keep with the analogy, we have to imagine a degree or two of separation between God and our conclusion, right? A, a couple of solid inferences and reams of data you'd need a PhD to correctly interpret. And while that's no impediment to you or me, it would present itself to theists as plausible deniability. Because look, nobody I know in the atheist movement is wedded to the idea that God doesn't exist. We conclude that because it's very clearly true, but that's not where we derive our passion. Our passion is for what is true and the shit that falsities claiming the mantle of real smear over the good name of actual truth is what emboldens us to action and pisses us off. You ask a theist and an atheist what it would take to convince them that the other guy was right, and you'll know the atheist because he'll be the one that answers. Our loyalty is to reality, and if God was part of reality, our loyalty would extend to him. But the same isn't true for the other side, is it? Hell, most of them wouldn't even claim that it was. See, God is easy. Believing in God takes no intellectual effort at all. It might take intellectual effort to keep believing him despite all the evidence to the contrary, but that doesn't matter because without a bit of intellectual effort to begin with, you don't understand the implications of all that evidence. A grown adult and a toddler stand in awe of God with the same cognitive investment. That is not true of any other thing one might stand in awe of. But if you start layering in science, if you start saying, hey, I know God exists because the data we've recovered from these massive electromagnetic devices and the data we've recovered from these geological surveys show that X can't be Y without Z, you'd have long since lost most religious people. They know God exists because trees or sunsets or the mirth of a newborn babe and they don't need or want any of your fancy science words standing between them and their unearned awe see in science you gotta work for your awe now i'm not talking about aesthetic awe here like the awe you get when you see a beautiful landscape or hear a beautiful symphony i'm talking about that intellectual awe that you get when you like when you almost understand what you are from the perspective of physics or, or when you realize how far that photon came from that star to be absorbed in your eye, or when you simultaneously consider how big and how small you are. And in science, consistently finding that awe is tough. You got to keep learning new shit. You got to keep up with the latest knowledge. But religion doesn't make any of those kind of demands on you, does it? You're not just allowed to feel awe at the same thing every week. You're required to. No need to ever learn anything new. Nothing will ever change. No need to challenge yourself. It wouldn't pay off anyway. No need to know anything else. God loves you and that's enough. But if science got a hold of God, that would no longer be the case. Right? Like we would learn new shit about God. We'd learn how he worked. We'd learn to the best of our ability what did and didn't matter to him. We'd quantify his love and favor. We'd probe into his motives. And then churches would have to start the day off with all the new stuff we just learned about God. Hell, they might even have to correct misconceptions that we had. Ooh, they might have to explain why God hates abortion, but it might take some effort to understand. And that would defeat the whole purpose. And pretty soon, religion would have its very own God standing in naked defiance 
ignorance of the real one because it was never about the truth for them. And I know this seems like a bit of a superfluous thought experiment. I mean, it's it's not like any of this shit's really going to happen, but it could have a practical application beyond just understanding the other side. I mean, at the rate we're going, we're never going to find God, but we might build him. They're talking about your Jesus. Interrupt this broadcast and bring you a special news bulletin. Joining me for headlines tonight are the exposition and climax to my denouement, Heath Enright and Eli Bosnick. Fellas, are you ready to get this action rising? Uh, all right. All right. So that means uh, Eli's going to come while I narrate. Is that what we're doing? <laughs> I, I feel like regardless of what I'd said in the introduction, it would have meant that. Okay, okay, but no color commentary this time, Heath. How frantic something is, is objective. (laughs) (laughs) And while Eli and Heath work out the rules here, we're going to pause for a quick break from this week's first sponsor, Dollar Shave Club. Greedily frantic. Thank you. Wait, no. Okay, remember, it's, it's his first solo place in a while, so expect it to be a bit of a bachelor pad. I got it, I got it. Hey guys, what's Yay, up? Hey Heath. All right, welcome to Shay Heath. Uh, sorry, hold on. Just let me let me just uh, clear the doorway a little bit for a second. Oh, wow. are you guys uh, you doing a recycling drive or something? Uh, no. Why? Never mind. Uh, just hey, you mind showing us around? All right. Uh, so this is the living room. Still uh, settling in, you know, but I like it. It's nice. Is that an entire wheel of Parmigiano-Reggiano cheese? Yeah, exactly. Got a sweet deal on it. Uh, plus, extra chair, right? Right? Mm, I, right? I, I do not think that's what you're supposed to do. It smells oh, like Shaquille O'Neal fucked a dumpster full of Indian food in here. I cannot. Oh, yeah, uh, that that's me. That's me. Sorry. You know, single life, right? Shower when I feel like it. Okay, Uh, Heath, why don't you just try DollarShaveClub.com? Oh, don't those guys just do razors, though? No, Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. Yeah, they have shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, all of which I think you need right now. Literally all of those things. Okay, are you talking about my brows, though? I mean, they are getting a little wild. They're getting a little crazy. They are covering your eyes. Okay, look, guys, I appreciate it, but... I'm on my own now, you know, so money's a little tight. I mean, have you guys heard of family cloth? No. Okay. Do you know how that works? That from my brain forever. But but Heath, there's a great way to try a bunch of Dollar Shave Club's products. For just five bucks, you can get their daily essential starter set. It comes with body cleanser, one wipe Charlie's, their amazing butt wipes, their world famous shave butter, and their best razor, the six blade executive. Keep the blades coming for a few more bucks a month and add in shampoo, toothpaste, or anything else you need for the bathroom. Wow, just five bucks? I think I got that in the couch cushions. Uh, Nope, that is soup. Sorry, sorry. It's pretty good. Okay, well, you can check it all out at dollarshaveclub.com slash scathing. Again, that's dollarshaveclub.com slash scathing. How did soup? I fell asleep mid-soup. Sure. It's not... Happens to the best of us. It's not abnormal. You guys want some? <laughs> and now back to the headlines. 
In our lead story tonight, House Republicans remain obsessed with Mike Johnson, as evidenced by their umpteenth effort to legislatively castrate the only thing standing between us and church-appointed senators. So, quick refresher course, the Johnson Amendment is a provision of the U.S. tax code enacted in 1954 that prohibits 501c3 nonprofits from endorsing or opposing political candidates. You know, the tax-free ones. It's basically the threadbare curtain that keeps Christianity from being an official fundraising arm of the far right. Yeah, but really, it's a threadbare theater curtain. It's really it's wall yeah. <laughs> of separation theater because taking away the word official from official fundraising arm really means nothing to the, <laughs> the gay person who won't be able to buy food thanks to Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh or the woman who's forced to give birth. Right. So, yeah, I don't think a 19 year old rape victim getting an abortion from a veterinarian in Texas is going to be like, <laughs> you know what? I appreciated a veil of neutrality. That yeah, made me right. feel better. <laughs> I made this better. More dog tranquilizer, please. <laughs> that also makes me feel better. So the, the section in question reads, quote, none of the funds made available by this act. This is all the government's money uh, may be used by the IRS to deny tax exemptions under Section 501A of the Internal Revenue Code of 1986 with respect to a church, an integrated auxiliary of a church or a convention or association of churches for participating in or intervening in any political campaign on behalf of or in opposition to any candidate for public office. End quote. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm cool dropping the Johnson Amendment and replacing it with everybody has to pay taxes. Yeah, that there you go. Just kind of work itself out in payroll. But right now they're trying to weaken something that's way too weak already. And again, it's it's secular theater. It's It basically says like, all right, take off your belt and raise your hands. Cool, you're not a theocrat. Here's another giant tax break. Right. And, and Trump thinks he needs to weaken that. Ooh, ooh, I love these questions. Noah, would you go through airport security every day but you don't have to pay taxes. I think you already know the answer to that. And and keep in mind that, yes, this jail. is an atheist relevant story for a lot of reasons. But for Republicans, discriminating against us is just a bonus. See, on the one hand, this provides yet another special right only afforded to religious people. And that fires up their base. But the more important thing is that it fucks poor people out of any meaningful political power forever. And I mention that because the Senate's version of this funding bill doesn't have the same language and they still have to reconcile the two. So there's still time to kill this fucker dead. But they need to know that we know. In a related story, your senator has a phone. We'll have the number linked in the show notes. Senators may not have a phone in Oklahoma, Alaska, and Utah. <laughs> <laughs> and in LGBTU news tonight, you can't tell, but I spelled U-E-W-E, like sheep, which will make sec is that gonna, sense in a second. Is that going to tie in? <laughs> to call forward, uh, but if you are reading the notes like we are. Speak, <laughs> speaking of sheep. You would go. Eli. Ah. Please, please proceed. Thanks, Senator. <laughs> Christian activist and tasteless in-living color character brought to life, Star Parker, took to Vocal Point Radio yesterday to warn listeners of the dreaded LGBTQ acronym. Because the B stands for bestiality. What? <laughs> it's typical bi erasure. But, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, jokes on Star Parker. Gays and lesbians are fucking goats. Fucking deal with it, Star Parker. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, is it okay with her if, if I fuck lady goats, though? I don't know if I get her thing. Here. I mean, I've seen a picture of Star Parker. She better hope she's okay with people fucking lady goats. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Racist. Okay. Go ahead. So... 
my extra no, no, don't you try to Roseanne me. Don't you try to Roseanne me. Cause she looks like a goat. There's not a racial thing about what race do goats look like. Go. All right. We'll leave uh, it like Manchu. <laughs> Thank you. Take that, Manchu listeners. Some guy sitting on a yak slowly takes out his headphones. Fuck that, man. I just wanted one place. Okay. So my extreme disappointment that I missed the Pride Parade this year aside, this is what Star had to say. Quote, there are some that say this bee is going to bombard us with real vileness in our society if they get what they want, because it's not about bisexuality. It's about bestiality. End quote. All right. Well, wait until Star Parker finds out it's actually B for black. Okay, but so she actually knows what it means, though. She just she just changed it. Like, can anyone do that? <laughs> right. So here's her reasoning. I mean, aside from the fact that she's hoping she could join up and fuck a dog, she points out that the gay board of acronyms already changed the Q in LGBTQ from queer to questioning. And therefore, quote, we do know that there is an agenda and we do know that there have been discussions about bestiality in their closed doors. In I'm the, just like in their closed doors. Yep. I'm just saying, <laughs> don't be surprised if we find out that the B is not what they say publicly that we just love each other, that it may, in law, show up as something else, end quote. Okay, uh, Star Parker, real quick, if you're listening, and I, I really hope you are. I Big really, fan. Big fan. really hope you are. Um, here's the thing. I think you might be projecting a little bit. Um, <laughs> for most people, acronyms aren't really... Uh, like a tricky thing. Like we aren't, <laughs> we aren't made to be confused by some letters, thus hiding the secret truth about other letters. That's not how it works for a lot of people. I feel like you're, you're projecting All right. well, that. Heath, before you mock Miss Parker, we actually have recordings from inside that closed door. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's have a listen. Okay, everyone, I call this meeting of the secret um, cabal of gays dude, order. Dude, dude, you're doing real offensive voice. No, no, this is Star Parker's insane fantasy, so this is how I would talk. Oh, okay, well, then I talk like this. I'm a lesbian. Lesbians Perfect. all sound like this. So, first order of business. As you all know, in the new mandatory gay wedding cake bill, we've managed to sneak in language legalizing bestiality so Dave and Scruffy over here can finally celebrate their big day. We're so happy. Now next up, as you know, our trans bathroom acceptance initiative is about to pass the House and Senate, but the plan is to switch that last second to Tyrannosaurus so that we can have a bunch of Tyrannosauruses in the, in the women's bathroom. Yeah, I know. It's going to be great. I know. And finally, I know earlier I mentioned that B stood for bestiality now, but today we're announcing that after we get the B officially changed to bestiality, we're planning to switch that to P for pedophile. I know. I know. It's so exciting. And here to speak on this momentous occasion is our local representative from NAMBLA. I want to fuck... Oh, well, it looks like uh, that recording cut off there suddenly and for no reason. While I look into that, we're going to toss things over to my lovely wife, Lucinda. But first, a word from our second sponsor this week, Stamps.com. Hey, Noah. 
You know what pickled wombat larynx has in common with a convincing apologetic? What's that, Eli? They're literally the only two remaining things you can't get on demand these days. Are you sure about that? What about all the amazing services of the post office? You still have to wait in line for those. Not true. You can just use stamps.com to access them right from your desk. 24 hours a day, seven days a week when it's convenient for you. That sounds too good to be true. And yet it isn't. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. And then the mail carrier picks it up. Just click print mail and you're done. It couldn't be easier. Are you sure? I am sure. We use stamps.com to send out all the merch for our podcasts. And it's so convenient, I use it for all my personal shipping, too. What kind of personal shipping do you do? That's none of your business. And Andrew says I'm not allowed to answer that on the air anyway. But Eli, shipping is expensive enough already. It is, but right now you can use the promo code SCATHING for this special offer. It includes up to $55 in free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. Great. I'll wait, and then I'll try that. No, don't wait. Go to Stamps.com, and before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in SCATHING. That's Stamps.com, enter SCATHING. Stamps.com. You know you wanna. I don't think that's their tagline. There was no tagline in the cup. A man wrote the Bible. A whore is what she was. If it's a legitimate rape. It's a slut, right? It, cooking can be fun. Hey, I'm proud of a man. This week in Massachusetts. Okay, so here's the kind of week I'm having. When I opened my inbox this week to start working on this segment, the first thing I saw was a link to a story about a dude in Florida who decided to give up on all the pretense and literally beat his girlfriend to death with a Bible. Cut out the middleman, so to speak. And that's not the worst story I'm going to tell you this week. That honor goes to a story out of Somalia about a 10-year-old girl who died of, shout it out with me if you know this one, female genital mutilation. And before we go any further, let me dismiss the apologists who try to distance Islam from this shit. It may not be rooted in Islamic scripture, but it sure as hell rooted in Islamic tradition, and it's perpetrated by Islamic authorities. And hell, you could even argue that it is rooted in scripture. And if you don't believe me, just ask the religious leaders of Somalia. Now, look, this is a problem in a lot of places, but Somalia is by far the worst. In Somalia, more than 98% of women suffer this torture as a rite of pubescent passage. And one of the reasons those numbers are so high is because Somali mothers are consistently lied to about the dangers of the procedure. Well, a lot of activists are hoping this death can help change that. See, this is the first death from FGM that the Somali government has confirmed in several years, but it's not the first one that's happened. The procedure is incredibly dangerous, and while it only rarely results in death, it can also result in tetanus, infection, and infertility, not to mention that it's guaranteed to cause severe pain and problems in childbirth. Sometimes those problems are fatal, but they don't wind up on the government's official list of FGM deaths. And of course, even if you could somehow solve all of that, what you're left with is a medically useless procedure that functions only to rob women of sexual pleasure. Because if women can enjoy sex, these shriveled dick klutzes have to come to terms with how bad they are at it. I mean, is that what men want? A woman physically incapable of enjoying sex? Well, luckily for that rhetorical question and for everybody saying, can you lighten the fucking mood already? Christian blogger Lori Alexander offered up an answer to exactly what men want. And it turns out it's the precise opposite of me. According to Lori, men are really looking for debt-free, tattoo-free virgins, which seems odd because virgin is a single-use thing. Anyway, I, I guess I get it in the extreme, like 
if you want a true version, a tattoo needle probably counts as penetration. And how do you collect debt? By getting fucked on contracts. So I guess she's just elaborating on virgin with the other two stipulations. And as an atheist activist, I for one love this as a marketing tool for Christianity. Come to Jesus, guys. Our women will suck your dick like they're trying to siphon gas until you explain exactly how to do something you've never done. Anyway, I've got a pillow that needs screamed into, so I'll take my temporary leave and hand things back over to Noah, Heath, and Eli. Thank you, Lucinda. And in postpartum depression news tonight, in an effort to improve the president's mood in the wake of accidentally committing televised treason, his advisors let him play with his pardon crayons again. And then they said, who's exercising dictatorial power now? You are. That's right. Until he stopped holding his breath. And Trump used that time to pardon domestic terrorist and gummy dick sales catalyst Dwight Hammond Jr. Now, you might remember Hammond and his son for burning 139 acres of federal land in what the Justice Department calls a clear effort to destroy evidence of illegal deer hunting, or more likely, you might remember them for prompting a different group of jack-off dumbasses to occupy a birding station until they ran out of gummy dicks and had to go home. <laughs> Honestly, I would pay uh, a pretty good amount of money to see footage of their their sovereign rebel army dividing up those rubber dicks when they left. Like, <laughs> they had to do it. Like, they definitely didn't just leave them there. They brought them home. I'm guessing they did like a snake draft, like fantasy football. <laughs> okay, sure. Now everyone likes licorice. Y'all just want more food. You ain't fooling me. <laughs> now, originally the 76-year-old arsonist was sentenced to five years in prison, but Schmuck Orange decided that was way too much for an idiotic septuagenarian right-wing conspiracy theorist who sets fire to things under federal protection, inspires terrorism, destroys evidence, and abets anti-American forces, so he freed him with the stroke of his tiny Trump-sized pen. And what will Dwight do with his newfound freedom? Well, according to a recent piece in The Oregonian, he'll be working to put God back in public schools. God fucking damn it. Okay, so we need to send enormous amounts of rubber dicks to any school that lets him in the doors. <laughs> yeah, I don't oh, sure. <laughs> Heath wants to send dicks to his school. It's fine. But when I do it, I can't direct for Disney anymore. I hate being the new <laughs> hey, guy. Surgeon <laughs> General you. suggested that get taught in schools. I think it's an important <laughs> thing already. So Hammond, who <laughs> seems to think being convicted of domestic terrorism somehow qualifies him to opine on civic responsibility, told the paper, quote, and I'm sorry, you cannot say this quote without doing the voice. I'm going to do the voice, quote, we don't stand a snowball's chance on the slow roll through hell of getting out of this situation until we're willing to let God lead us, end quote. Now, it's worth <laughs> noting that this situation remains undefined in the interview. And as near as I can tell, it's the oppressive world in which a man can't even destroy the evidence of his crimes against the state government without running afoul of the federal government. And in Dick Move news tonight, atheist author and man whose phone it can't possibly be that hard to take away since the stroke, Richard Dawkins. <laughs> well, you would be surprised he's, what he's committed. He's committed. stroke victims can Anyway, he took to Twitter to, to prove the age-old adage, either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the, oh, Jesus, he said what? Come on, man. <laughs> Tweet about microbes or something. God. Yeah, God. dude, stick to what you know. You know what stroke survivors are super well-known for? Audio acuity. Nope. No, you, you should probably not give advice on how to chew with both sides of your mouth either now, dude. <laughs> right. So uh, here's the latest tweet. It's a picture of Ricky sitting in front of Winchester Cathedral. The caption, quote, 
listening to the lovely bells of Winchester, one of our great medieval cathedrals, so much nicer than the aggressive-sounding Allahu Akbar. Or is it just my cultural upbringing? Yeah, quick tip. um, Maybe don't bring up medieval Christianity when you're trying (laughs) to say your culture is superior to uh, anything ever. Right? Right? That's a word to leave out. So, you know how we have to point out all the time that it's not Islamophobic if you're criticizing ideas, right? So, like, saying the Quran is a violent and disgusting book of nonsense is just a true statement about a book. It's just, just, just the thing that you say. Well, your music, or particularly just this set of words sounds barbaric, isn't a criticism of ideas. It's just kind of Islamophobic, right? Like, tell me I'm missing something here. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm thinking a little challenge is going to settle this. If Richard Dawkins can say God is dead without sounding barbaric or weird, (laughs) I'll back him up on this one. Okay, okay. Okay. Nope. Now, and he, I won. See, now he does clarify, and it it's not better. So here was a follow-up tweet. He said, quote, The call to prayer can be hauntingly beautiful, especially if the mezzaman? Yeah, I'm sure that's exactly it. Muezzin. <laughs> especially if the muezzin has a musical voice. So that's better. Uh, but he goes on. My point is that Allahu Akbar is anything but beautiful when it's heard just before a suicide bomb goes off. Oh, for fuck's sake, man. <laughs> I mean, that is okay. when Islam is tragically <laughs> hijacked by violence. End quote. See, guys, when he was talking about Islam, he was thinking about suicide bombers. He's <laughs> <laughs> <is> much better. <laughs> Watch the next jihad video from ISIS. It's got an opera singer doing an aria while she chops somebody's head off. Just like, fuck you, you stuttery cannibal. <laughs> Yeah, I got to say, it's it's the corrupting of a musical tradition that really pisses me off about suicide bombings. It's about time somebody fucking said it. Thank you, Brave. And, and Richie, if you're listening, and I know you are, I get it. I mean, personally, I prefer the sound of Muslims to atheists, by which, of course, I mean Muslims who don't tweet shit I have to spend my week explaining versus old evolutionary biologists who should have sealed themselves in a library somewhere without internet service so they could avoid skull-fucking their legacy to death in their remaining years. See? <laughs> All better. I fixed it. Go ahead. And finally tonight. Oh, my God. In oh my God. Bung Jury News. Oh, my God. An Ethiopian healthcare worker yes. who has a Christian prophecy business on the side for extra money is under arrest after he failed to prophesy that he would not be able to resurrect a dead body by digging it up and yelling at it a a lot. And it looks like he got the part about not going to jail wrong, too, when he tried to prophesy. So, Guys, when I said rise from the grave, I meant get dug up, and we we did it. Yes. (laughs) Rise, (laughs) hoist. What's the difference? So the prophet in question is... Get a yakel a yele, and he really wanted to fuck a corpse. We've pretty sure, all been, sure. All been <laughs> that's what happened. And uh, when he heard about a motorcycle accident with a fatality in his hometown, he figured it was his big chance to combine his necrophilia hobby with his Christian magic hobby, which uh, sounds exciting for him, I guess. But those two hobbies really fit together pretty easily on most days. R- regardless, <laughs> he went over to the victim's family's house and explained 
how there was this guy in the Bible named Lazarus who died and then got brought back to life by Jesus. And uh, I'm guessing he also pointed out that Jesus was from Galilee and so were they. They're all, they're all from Galilee, Ethiopia. That, ah, that's I real. See. At which point the family was like, mind blown. <laughs> Galilee, get the fuck out of here. Let's dig up our dead son right now. <laughs> was this your card? It was? Cool. Let me dig up your kid's bones. Let's. Uh... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this dude's opening salvo is he sits down there. He goes, okay, I want to dig up your son. Hold on. Hear me out. And someone said, yeah, no, we will hear you out. Like at that point, there is no benign <laughs> resolution. <laughs> okay, so... Normally with absurd headlines like this, you have to keep in mind that they might be fake. And that's definitely possible here. But there is a video. Mm, and I love it so it's much. It's amazing. <laughs> it, and it's pretty hard to explain what's happening in the video without using the phrase, okay, that prophet guy is definitely trying to fuck that dead body back to life. <laughs> and, and, and it's not just that. The whole no, video more. is fucking great. You get to watch a guy standing in a casket that he just dug up and screaming in the face of a corpse for way longer than it should take to realize the corpse is going to be staying dead. Oh, it's just so it's long. So good. Ed Harris from the abyss is like, hey, okay, dude, it's not happening. And he's yelp is like, ah! yeah, it's, it's like a, it's like a wake. It's very clearly him saying, wake up. It's, the best. <laughs> but like a dog yelling at itself yeah. in a mirror, you know? Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Want to go out of the casket? <laughs> go out. Go on, go on. He tries everything. Does not work. But that's not the only prediction he got wrong. He also incorrectly saw the future results of dry humping the corpse for a <laughs> solid two minutes <laughs> while the dead guy's family watched in... I'm going to say hopeful silence would be the way to describe it. Um, well, unless, of course, his prophecy involved getting the fuck beat out of him by an angry mob and going to jail, in which case he eventually nailed it. Yeah. That all happened at the end. And, of course, as weird as this seems to people in our culture, given what we know of African preachers, like, I'm guessing Ethiopia has an exact, like, a dedicated police code for this or something. You know, yeah. we got a 481. <laughs> so the important takeaway here. Watch this video. Oh, it's yes, amazing. Please. Over the course of less than three minutes, you get to see a person who genuinely, genuinely believes he's magical <laughs> and then gets forced to abandon that belief in soul-crushing fashion in that three minutes. Like a magician learning the hardest way possible that the, the sawing the lady in half trick isn't literally, you can't do that. <laughs> is, is murder if he just tries is, it. Is, it's just murder at that point. And that happens while he's literally rubbing his erect penis on a newly dead body that he talked these family members into digging up. That's when he has that realization. And then he gets back on his feet. This is the best part. Inside yep. this open grave and just stands there in literal silence for a while. It's so a good. long, it's so... complete silence. Oh. And then he just gives up on thinking and just he just tries to like walk away yep. slowly yes. like nothing happened. Back away. Slowly. Look, I don't speak Ethiopian, but the end of the video where he does the comedy shrug to the crowd and tries to just 
<laughs> walk off into the fucking sunset is yes. universally done. It is worth us starting a YouTube channel just so we could share that moment with you. I want my grave to just have this video playing on my tombstone 24-7. Make it happen, people. <laughs> And while you brainstorm ways to make Eli's grave happen, we're going to close the headlines for the night. Heath, Eli, thanks as always. Trombone player at Eli's grave to make that noise the whole time. (laughs) And when we come back, Lee Strobel still won't have shut the fuck up. Hi, I'm Randy, the receding hairline. And I'm Sammy the skin rash. And I'm... I'm Isaac the impotent penis. Heath, I sorry, I don't want to give notes, but like, I need you to do that in like an impotent penis voice of some sort. You know, give me an impotent penis. <sighs> um, okay, uh, impotent is probably what you mean. Okay, I'm Isaac. The uh, all right, no, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not. I'm not an impotent penis. I'm Heath Enright. I'm not doing a voice, dude. Come on, it's just for the hymns ad. And for hymns is a one stop shop for hair loss, skincare, and sexual wellness for men. So those are the three mascots we need to make up. But I don't want to be an impotent penis. Well, then you should try four hymns. No, no. I I mean, I don't want to play one in the skit. On the last one, you guys acted like I had herpes, and I do not have herpes. And this time, you're trying to make okay, me Okay, okay, tell you uh, what. I promise I'll be the impotent penis next time. I feel like you're lying. You promise? I promise. You promise? Promise. Fine, fine. And I'm Isaac, the impotent penis. And we're here to tell you about 4 Did you know that 66% of men lose their hair by the age of 35? 66% of the guys on this podcast sure did. Hurtful. But the thing is, when you start to notice hair loss, it's often too late. And it's a lot easier to keep the hair you have than replace the hair you've lost. That's right, Randy. And I ask you, do you want a bald spot to pop up or do you want to do something about it first? Well, why not try 4 It's a one-stop shop for hair loss. Skin care. Sexual wellness for men. With 4 you won't get bogus herbal supplements and snake oil pills. You'll get well-known generic equivalents to name-brand prescriptions to help you keep your hair. And even better, with 4 you can skip the waiting room and that awkward doctor visit. Just answer a few questions, a doctor will review your information, and their prescriptions can be shipped directly to your door. Order now. Our listeners get a trial month of 4 hymns for just $5 today while supplies last. See website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or pharmacy. It sure would. Just go to 4 slash scathing. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash scathing. 4 slash scathing. Okay, hold on. Hold on a second. If this whole ad was about hair loss... Why'd we need an impotent penis character at all? I feel like that would just... It's for the tagline. Say say the tagline I wrote. <sighs> Until your four hymns is coming, I won't be. There you go. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna give you herpes. <laughs> so it's true. In part one of The Case for Christ, Lee Strobel went in search of the historical evidence for Jesus' divinity. And I think the fact that he only managed to fill 112 pages with that evidence by augmenting it with 43 pages of pointless reminiscences about how cool his job used to be and languid descriptions of how jaunty his interview subjects were tells you all you need (laughs) to know about how successful he was in that endeavor. 
But now we're on to part two, and it's time to start examining the scientific evidence for Jesus. And Lee Strobel's so good, he's going to manage that in only 60 pages. Yeah, and uh, honestly, I was assuming that meant like 60 different pictures of Jesus doing fun poses inside a beaker, just doing <laughs> wacky faces. And so. But somehow it's actually less scientifically useful than that. Yeah, yeah. What no we beaker. Uh, the scientific evidence... <laughs> For Jesus. This book is like when you've read a word but never said it out loud, but for meaning. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, joining us for the second act of Strobel's play is my lovely wife, Lucinda. Lucinda, welcome back. I'm just sticking around in hopes it turns into a tragedy, Noah. It's been one the whole time. Now, Indeed. we've already heard uh, from experts ranging from biblical scholars to different biblical scholars, but now it's time to consult the most objective possible source on the divinity of Jesus, Jesus himself. And we're going to do that in chapter seven <laughs> titled The Identity Evidence. Was Jesus really convinced that he was the son of God? What? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's such a stupid opening fucking question. How is that what we're studying right now? It's insane. <laughs> Just to preface this whole thing, that's fucking crazy, right? <laughs> Does the homeless guy outside of my dorm actually think he's Napoleon? Chapter one. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, we start off learning about John Douglas, the first psychological profiler for the FBI and a universally recognized expert in psychological analysis who will not be the interview in no. this chapter, by the way. He, he's just opening <laughs> analogy or something. Yeah, Lee Strobel doesn't even meet the FBI guy, but he definitely thinks he's fucking Hannibal Lecter profiling Jesus, like yeah. Buffalo Bill and Clarice. <laughs> he's like, the significance of the Trinity is change, much like the caterpillar to moth to pupa, father to son to holy ghost. <laughs> Yeah, and as typical Strabellian style, Douglas is here so that we can firmly establish that one's behavior is influenced by one's personality. In case you needed a primer on cause and effect before we <laughs> dug into the meat of the chapter. Yeah. And based on this creepy fucking intro he gave us, it sounded like we were about to prove that Jesus was like a, a bedwetter who tortured animals <laughs> using... Science to to prove that. Spoiler, big letdown. Right? We don't yeah. get to any of that, and we don't get any science. <laughs> no, instead he lays out this central question. A lot of biblical scholars say, look, this whole son of God thing was retrofitted onto Jesus to begin with, and that's the question we're going to be tackling today. So Lee heads to Lexington, Kentucky to meet with the most slave owner-sounding interview yet, <laughs> Ben Witherington III. <laughs> Jeff Sessions thinks this dude's name is a little much. <laughs> yeah, and apparently this dude wrote a book called The Christology of Jesus, which sounds pretty fucking objective if you ask me. Well, right. Actually, no, yeah. He also wrote Jesus the Sage, Jesus Paul and the End of the World and Women in the Ministry. Plus, plus his articles about Jesus have, quote, appeared in specialized dictionaries, end quote. Dictionaries, I tell you. I mean, has he made it into Big D? No, but that shit's so political. Like, yeah. specialized dictionary. <laughs> and seriously, though, the Christology of Jesus, right. really, really. Look for my book, the and righteousness of Heath comes. <laughs> the meatudinology of I. Fuck yes. you. <laughs> what? But meanwhile. 
Ben Witherington III is making a mixtape of original songs about Jesus what? It, Fuck. in his dedicated Messiah studio and <laughs> trying to animate a crucified hair doll with a car battery. It's creepy <laughs> as fuck. What the fuck yeah. was going on there? That's they, He actually has that studio and he tells us about it. Right, yeah, there was a really weird moment of, and look what he scrawled in his poop before the interview started. Feel <laughs> to it, yeah. Eventually, Strobel, though, does get to the interview, and he opens up saying, so it seems like if Jesus was the Messiah, maybe he would just say, by the way, in case you're curious, I'm the Messiah at some point. <laughs> was he too scared or what? <laughs> and his immediate answer seems to be, no, the Jews were too dumb to get the whole thing trinity thing and that seems so logical and intuitive to us now <laughs> yeah the number line is a construct what is three what is it real <laughs> fuck it's a priori knowledge fucking stupid hippie and <laughs> if you notice that uh he hasn't answered the question of why jesus wouldn't say he was the messiah because the trinity doesn't isn't necessary like they already had the concept of uh, messiah you're way ahead of strobel but the closest he comes to actually tackling that question is to say Jesus didn't want to be put in a box. He can't fence Jesus in. He's a wild spirit, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, Jesus doesn't like labels. He loves spending yeah. time with you. <laughs> Dying for your sins. Okay, and just to recap, this is Lee Strobel's section about scientific evidence <laughs> that Jesus yeah. is the unique son of God. <sighs> And we're talking with a guy who appears to be both a plantation owner and the uh, stalker ex-girlfriend of Jesus. <laughs> and we're trying to decide if Jesus felt like a messiah, felt <laughs> yes. like one with science. That's what's happening right now in this book. I just want to be clear. All right. So the first piece of evidence from Jefferson Beauregard Witherington here is, well, well, when the disciples were all talking about pussy and cars and stuff, Jesus didn't join in just like he wouldn't have if he was the son of God. I have no idea what point he was trying to make here. Is is Jesus like a magician whose buddies are all chatting about how great his show is and he's just sitting back being cool? What is this supposed <laughs> to prove? I don't is this supposed to prove? Okay, so uh, you know how... Hootie and the Blowfish, it's four guys and lots of people, they think the lead singer Darius Rucker is Hootie, but but he's not because none of them are Hootie and none of them are the Blowfish, they're just Hootie and the Blow. they're just like a band together with that name. So uh, 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 Jesus and the Apostles are are like the, the opposite of that. <laughs> I have a PhD. There's also this weird bit where he says, look, if he wasn't the son of God, he was being a real asshole to the rabbis. Are you calling Jesus an asshole? <laughs> yes. For, for a living. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah, he did, didn't see us coming in a lot of this mm. book, I got to say. Um, he also argues that the Romans wouldn't have crucified him if he wasn't the son of God. Like Just like that time Spartacus, the son of God, left that <laughs> army of 6,000 son of gods along the Appian Way in the third survival. It's like that. Right. <laughs> Plus, he had that T-shirt that said, I am the king of the Jews. And ironic T-shirts didn't exist yet. <laughs> so, like, seriously, the sign over Jesus's head that said, this is the king of the Jews was part of the argument. Like, we, we have no record of Jesus saying, no, no, ignore that sign. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Jesus never didn't not dis dislike the sign. Dis yeah. the what? Yeah. 
And then we get to the argument from if Jesus wasn't God, how did he do all that magic? Oh, right. Yeah, because we're in the science part. Exactly. And this is especially weird coming from Christians because plenty of biblical prophets before Jesus performed miracles, as did plenty of saints afterwards by their mythology. So this has no real choice but to generate into an argument over who would win in a fight between Jesus and Elisha Uh, and Chris Angel. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be better than his actual argument here, which seems to be, ah, but those other miracle workers never said, if I cure this blind dude, dibs on son of God. Son of God. God. Oh, fuck. Ah. No, not the son of God. <laughs> yeah, to which Trumbull says, can you add more bullshit words so I can seem harder to convince? <laughs> <laughs> and this whole argument is fucking stupid, right? Like, yeah. Lee Strobel says, okay, but healing a blind guy and reviving a dead guy and walking on water and magically throwing a demon army into a pig. That wouldn't make you think you were maybe a god, though, right? And yes, it fucking of would. Of course, of course right. would. What? <laughs> but the pastor's like, no, of course not. Of course not. That's why my decades of scientific research were focused on how Jesus interpreted emotionally his magical god powers. Should we hear the mixtape again? I'm going to Let's listen to my mixtape again. So, but then Lee hits him with a stumper. He says, wait, didn't his followers call him rabbi, though? Not son of God? Yeah, and then we get the argument from no. He put the sincerely at the front of his letters, not the end. So he knew he wasn't going to lie in advance. That's literally That's the argument. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Except with prayers instead of letters. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and when Lee asks for clarification, he says, well, to Jews, you always need a second guy to back you up. But Jesus never had to say, can I get a witness? Because he was three dudes, right? right? Yeah. So you know how the Jews are liars, like dirty, dirty, filthy Jew liars? (laughs) And they had to have witnesses for everything because of that? Well, Jesus said, I'm not lying. And uh, this was... Way before it was cool and completely meaningless to say I'm not lying. So. Well, well, he also points out that Jesus was allowed to call God by his nickname, and only personal friends can get away with that, yeah. too. Ugh, I hate those kids who call their parents by their first name. It's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not Atticus. And then we examine what the author of the Gospel of John thought of Jesus, and he also thought Jesus was the bee's knees, by the way. Oh, my, okay. And we should point out that, like, What John is known for among objective biblical scholars is A, being the last of the Gospels to be written, B, being largely based on the ones that were written, and C, rewriting them in such a way as to make Jesus seem as son of God-y as possible. It is by far the laziest place to go next. In fact, it's so known for that, it was presented as evidence against his divinity at a Nicene council. Yes, this is like looking for a fact check of Sam Harris's podcast on Sam Harris's Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) And then Lee tackles the question on everybody's mind. And he says, hey, Jesus wasn't a dithering pussy like in The Last Temptation of Christ. (laughs) He wasn't, was he? And then to which Foghorn L. Withering assures him that no, in fact, Jesus weren't no pussy. (laughs) Okay, let's keep rolling with the scientific evidence. What about Martin Scorsese? (laughs) 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 And then they hit on one of the dumbest apologetics in all of Christianity when he says, 
William Lane Craig points out in Reasonable Faith that people were calling Jesus God incarnate only 20 years after the crucifixion. And if legends can develop in only 20 years, how do you explain the holographic airplanes the one world government projected over the missiles that triggered the thermite in the World Trade Towers? Huh? Huh? Uh, also the Jews? I don't know the question. <laughs> yeah. The actual argument here seems to be nobody lies right away. Yes! <laughs> and, and then he says, quote, frankly, as a historian, this would not make any sense at all, end quote. And I'm all like, are you a historian? Yeah. And he says, moving on. <laughs> right. And again, I just want to point out that this is this weird Estes Perkle argument nobody is having. Like about yeah. which, which kind of spider bit Peter Parker. He was God, <laughs> not an accidental God. It was a purposeful God. No one knows. This is not an argument. Also, Big Daddy Witherington wants us to know that even without the Gospel of John, Jesus would totally still be the son of God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then we get the logically indefensible argument from, well, if Jesus wasn't just some dude, why isn't there a huge religion for all the just some dudes? Which is kind of like arguing <laughs> against helmet laws because not wearing a helmet ain't never killed you. Or, or, or it's like arguing against helmet laws because everyone not wearing a helmet isn't dead. <laughs> <laughs> helmet wearers always die. So. And, and then he offers the most effective next chapter tease of the book uh, by far when he says, but was Jesus just shit scrawlingly insane i'd have to find that out in chapter eight uh, spoiler alert he's gonna popularize the phrase the end is nigh so <laughs> <laughs> and it'll yep. stick that's the good and, speech, uh, everyone <laughs> <laughs> and uh this is where lee has another one of his little meltdowns here mid sentence it's the best he's like Okay, so in conclusion, Jesus is so the son of God, he's actually in, insane. <laughs> this chapter was so correct that the Messiah of our entire religion absolutely must be lunatic. Is that? <laughs> I drive a Dodge Stratus. That's the belt. Do your homework. Do your homework. All right. Well, that was a remarkably short chapter, even by Lee's standards. Uh, but we can't get paroled from this shit until we answer his dumbass study questions at the end. You, you guys ready for the uh, for the quiz? Ready. So ready. ready. All right. Question one. What do you think are some reasons why Jesus was evasive in disclosing who he was to the public? So we're assuming you agree already. Um, that's question one. But <laughs> can you imagine some ways in which an early proclamation of his deity could have harmed his mission. Yeah, this is classic PUA stuff. You neg first, then you mention casually you're the son of God, working some touching, some foot washing. <laughs> sorry, sorry, I told you fast. It's just you're so attractive. It's just you're very attractive. No, you're not. Fuck, fuck. Oh, I'm doing this bad. Look at my enormous Kentucky Derby hat. This is true. I don't know how to, I'm doing this really badly. But the answer is no, by the way, because I'm pretty sure omnipotent beings can't harm their mission. What right? the fuck was that exactly. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm looking at this question. I'm like, uh, he might have died for mankind's sins earlier. That would have sucked. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he was captured and killed, the secretary would disavow any knowledge of his actions. Well, right, so, yeah, right. No, that. clearly. And that would have yeah. caused a lot of paperwork. Okay, so <laughs> what are some of, this is question two. 
what are some of the difficulties we face in determining what historical figures thought about themselves? <laughs> other than the fact that that's impossible. Other than that. And doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> what clues would you find most helpful in trying to determine this? Why did the clues offered by Witherington convince or fail to persuade you that Jesus thought he was the son of God and the Messiah? Oh, wow. What kind of evidence? Um, I would have liked to hear a mixtape. Uh, wait, <laughs> no. Uh, never mind. The clues were flawless. I withdraw. Well, what would be super helpful in determining this, most of all, would have been not having a global institution destroying evidence to the contrary and burning people alive for disagreeing for centuries and centuries between then and now. That would have helped. Yeah, no, that would have been nice. I, I'm going to go with the lack of a single piece of firsthand evidence. That's a bit of a sticking point for me. Okay, but I actually yeah. take Lee Strobel's point here. I mean, think of how many people in history we have not directly asked whether or not they are a three-part wizard ghost god brought to Earth. <laughs> I mean, I can't think of anyone we've asked that just like straight. I'm no, gonna, you're right. I we've really got a lot Obama of to <laughs> He will not respond. <laughs> All right, finally, question three. Jesus <laughs> taught his disciples to use the term Abba or dearest father in addressing God. What does this tell you about Jesus's relationship with the father? Is that kind of relationship attractive to you? Why or why not? What? It tells me that Jesus was a dancing queen. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like the way this reads, it's it's like Lee's hinting around to see if you want to do gay stuff with him later, right? Yeah. Or a threesome, just <laughs> like, so, do you have any fantasies you want to act out? Like, <laughs> maybe with that friend from your yoga class? Or No, no, you go, you go. It's cool, you go. <laughs> you say, you say. I want to kill a homeless guy together. <laughs> on, on a cross. You're, you're <laughs> going to be the homeless guy. So, yes. <laughs> Attractive. That's I find that that's a great father-son relationship they have. Oh yeah, no, well, you could stick stuff in his muffins and shit. It would be great. All right. <laughs> so I wouldn't say that the scientific evidence is off to a good start, but it's pretty good for our purposes so far. So with that, we're going to shelf this book for three weeks and hope it gets better with age. Heath, Eli, Lucinda, thanks as always. Right. Good to be here. <laughs> Before we cue the credits this week, I want to remind everybody that fully half of our podcasts have live shows coming up. We're only a few weeks away from a live double feature of Citation Needed in Chicago, and we're only about three months away from a live god-awful movies in London. We'll have links for tickets to both or either of those shows in the show notes. Anyway, that's all the blasphemy we've got for you tonight, but we'll be back in 10,022 minutes with more. If you can't wait that long, be on the lookout for a brand new episode of our sister show's hot friend god-awful movies debuting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday, and an even newer episode of our half-sister show Citation Needed debuting at noon Eastern on Wednesday. Obviously, our RSS feed would reject this episode if I neglect to thank Heath Enright for his insight, Lucinda Illusions for her foresight, and Eli Bosnick for his oocyte smoothies. I also want to thank Jacob and Patrick of the Bullshit Hold My Beer podcast for providing this week's Farnsworth quote. If the arguments in your life could use an upgrade, you'll find a link to their podcast in the show notes. But most of all, of course, I want to thank this week's most charismatic coordinates, Van Scaren, the Getting Off podcast, Eliana, Randy, Ryan, Michael, John, Other John, Dwight, Elysium, and another Lego welder. Van Scaren, the Getting Off podcast, and Eliana, whose IQs have more digits than the average calendar, Randy, Ryan, Michael, 
Jacqueline John, whose condoms provide aerial footage of sporting events in their spare time, and other John Dwight, Elysium, and other Lego welder who are so notoriously sexy, it sings about getting jiggy with them. Together, these dozen disproportionately dizzying disdainers of disinformation dismiss discretion and decided to disperse a distinct disadvantage to the dishonest disseminators disdained in our disruptive disputations this week by giving us money. Not everybody has the cat-like reflex as it takes to give us money, but if you think you're up to the challenge, you can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash scathingatheist, whereby you'll earn early access to an extended ad-free version of every episode, or you can make a one-time donation by clicking on the donate button on the right side of the homepage at scathingatheist.com. Legal services for this podcast are provided by the law offices of P. Andrew Torres. Tim Robertson handles our social media, and our audio engineer is Morgan Clark, who also wrote all the music that was used in this episode, which was used with permission. If you have questions, comments, or death threats, you'll find all the contact info on the contact page at scathingatheist.com. All right, Morgan, I hope your mind is hard right now because I'm about to blow it. The preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle and a Thunderstorm, LLC. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.